Hey everyone, I'm Brenda and I'm Julia, and you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today we have on with us Allie Bonar. Did I say that right, Allie? Yeah, it's fine. As long as you don't say Bonar, we're good. <laughs> well, I figured. She is the CEO and founder of Queen, a food company that makes granola butter. I'm so excited to talk about this. The first ever spreadable granola. If you haven't heard of it yet, like, I know your mind is blown. Mine was when I first <laughs> heard about it. After struggling with an eating disorder for over a decade, she launched her Instagram account, Avo Queen, to document her recovery journey and help others feel less alone. We're so excited to have you, Allie. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to dive into all the things. All the (laughs) things. All the things. I love, Allie's going to dive into so many things with us today, but I love her podcast, which she'll tell us about later on. She, our missions just align so, so well about being vulnerable, making others feel less alone. So many different things. If you don't follow her on Instagram, make sure you do. I love to, to see everything that she posts. And I also have some granola butter. I actually put it in my fridge. I like don't think I I don't know if I was supposed to do that, but I did. Oh yeah. Okay, that's amazing. totally yeah. A lot of people do that. It's just funny because um, I love seeing how people use it and like you know when they tag me in stories and stuff. Yes. And some people are like, oh my god, like they thought that you're supposed to put it in the fridge, which is totally fine. But yeah. I actually didn't even realize until I saw people like tagging me and stuff, and they're like, oh my god, it's like cookie dough. And then I was like, oh yes. my gosh, this is brilliant. It's like so I actually <laughs> didn't even think of it. You guys were the ones that you know. That the, oh, that is brilliant. Yeah. And I was confused because she always posts these like incredible stories with like the drippy look, and I'm like, mine's not. Trippy. I must have had something wrong. But still, so delicious. Personal preference. <laughs> yes. Personal preference. Yeah. So good. But totally. we're going to talk all about the granola butter. But yes. first, Allie, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and how old you are. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm 27, 27 and a half. And <laughs> I'm from San Diego. I grew up here, ended up actually migrating a little north for college. So I went to school up in San Francisco and then moved back down um, to start my business just because, you know, San Diego is a little bit easier, I think, for a food business. You know, you guys being in New York probably understand it's like any sort of city. Like San Francisco is amazing if you want to start a tech company, but it's a lot. When you have a food company, it's a lot of driving and just like it's easier in San Diego. So yeah, a little about me. I mean, I really, you know, started my company out of this place of my recovery journey. So I struggled with food in my body since the womb. Like I always joke because it feels like, you know, from the time that I had consciousness and just awareness about my body, I always felt like there was something wrong with it. And I always felt like it needed fixing and shrinking and all of the things. So yeah, I mean, anything regarding food or, you know, disordered eating or anything like I've been there. And I really just want to serve as like, you know, a beacon of hope for people because I felt like I was in this dark, dark hole. Like I I could never crawl out of. And really I'm in the most like beautiful, healthy, balanced relationship with food that I've ever been in. And so, I mean, we can obviously dive into it, but yeah. And so I started my Instagram account, you know, about three years ago, a little over maybe three and a half and just documenting, you know, as I mentioned this, this recovery journey, and it was super bumpy. It wasn't linear, you know, lots of ups and downs and then launched my company queen out of that with our product granola butter. And, you know, the idea for granola butter is really sort of 
interesting. It wasn't something that I thought of and was like, oh my God, I'm going to start a company, you know, and I'm going to leave my job. It wasn't very like a straight path, I guess. You know, I thought of the idea and really I was like, hmm, that's interesting. You know, no one's done that before, but I was kind of like, okay, moving on. You know, I, I had an awesome job in tech. I didn't want to leave like the comfort of a, you know, steady paycheck yeah. oh, and yeah. And my, you know, partner and boyfriend, Eric, he was in consulting and he was making great money, loved his job. So we were both like, this is an interesting idea, but like, let's table it for later. Right. And then we just realized we're like, you know, later is never going to come. Like we don't have kids. We don't have any responsibilities. Like tech will always be there if we want to go back to it. Yeah. Um, so then we were like, let's do it. And we jumped in, we did it as a side hustle for about a year and then jumped in full time um, about a year ago. So yeah, it has been wild and I'm happy to like chat about any of that too, but, or anyone who's interested in starting their own thing. You know, I definitely am not an expert, but it's fresh in my mind. So I feel like I have a lot of things that um, I'm happy to share about. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, definitely want to dive yeah, into Yeah, we definitely all of that. do. We talk a lot about on this podcast, body image. I, I definitely have struggled with that throughout my life. And it's been really cool to watch Julia learn so much about this through the people that we've talked about. Like sometimes she'll th- say things about relationship to food and body. And I'm like, oh my God, you know so much. <laughs> because we've just like, I feel like there's been so many different layers and she's been through my whole journey with me. So it's, I think it's so incredible that you've shared like the nitty gritty of it because a lot of it can feel shameful or confusing or to share things while you're going through them, I think does give people so much hope. And I think you are absolutely an icon of that. So yeah. thank you for sharing everything. Oh my gosh, that you thanks. <laughs> no, of course. No, and I love what you said. I mean, I don't love that for you, but I think <laughs> yeah. about yeah. what you said about since the womb because it's like so true like even though I haven't had you know a deep experience of a struggle with food I think every woman Mm -hmm. can relate to from a very young age judging or think at least thinking a lot about her body in comparison to other women because we're we're just so conditioned to you know when you're four years old and you see a magazine and you see the model on the cover it's like we're just so conditioned to be thinking about our bodies so much of Mm -hmm. the time so for you to say that like you really have felt that way since like out of the womb I'm sure everyone's going like amen yeah totally and that's like the biggest thing that I I thought was really interesting during this whole process because you know of course you're starting to heal your relationship with food and you know I was going to therapy and the first thing is like well where did this all start like where was the genesis of this so I was really you know like thinking back in my childhood and asking my parents you know did, did anything happen because a lot of times there are you know certain events that can trigger disordered mm-hmm. eating you yeah. know sexual abuse like anything like that you know I I had a really charmed childhood. Like I had amazing parents that really had a very balanced, non-emotional relationship with food. You know, they're kind of like eat to live people. Um, They didn't really think about food that much. And so I think it really was just that. Yeah. Just like you said, you know, I think being just a person in today's society, it's so like our culture is so focused and we put, you know, thinness on this pedestal and it's almost impossible for people that have a great relationship with food. It's actually like a very rare occurrence, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And we're definitely going to dive more into this because I do want to hear more about, I mean, I know a little bit from following you, but for everyone else, I want them to hear a little bit more about your journey, but I want to talk about the granola butter yeah, first because it's it. like totally on my mind. Let's do it. So Ali, you kind of talked about it like you guys were working in tech and you had this idea for this granola butter. Can you like give us a little more background on where this idea came from? Because it's so unique. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so this was probably September 
2017. And at this point, you know, I had my Instagram for about six months and I was just using it as a creative outlet. So I was doing, you know, really over the top drippy creations. And for anyone listening that's followed me from the beginning, like you remember these like crazy smoothies. I had this hashtag called free the drip and it was just like stuff that, you know, was, it was more of an art form for me. Like, and I remember getting so many messages of people being like, this is not realistic, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Like (laughs) on Instagram is realistic, but it really was this awesome, just creative medium for me because I was so afraid of food for so long. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it really forced me to get back in the kitchen and have fun with food and be just playful and kind of get back to my roots. So anyways, I was in the kitchen kind of playing around. And at this point I was in this sort of reintroduction phase where I was adding a lot of foods back into my diet that I had restricted heavily for years and nut butters and nuts was one of them just because, you know, calories and, um, which is hilarious. Cause now, and I was afraid of fat too, which like now it's like keto high fat, everything. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was 10 years <laughs> before this trend, but yeah. so I started adding, you know, almond butter and peanut butter onto everything. And I really, you know, my body just wasn't equipped to handle all of those nuts at once. It was really like zero to a hundred. And so I just felt really weighed down and sluggish. And I was like, I still, you know, was looking for something to put on a banana before a workout and stuff like that. And so I started playing around with the seed butters, you know, sun butter and stuff like that. Mm. Just, they were all nasty. Like they were just trash. I've honestly never tasted any of them. So like, (laughs) I mean, I think if you have a nut allergy, like they're okay, they're an option. I, but from, you know, and I don't want to trash any other brands, of course, but like for me personally, they were just kind of bitter. And then, you know, if there was added sugar or oils, they were a little more palatable, yeah. but then I'm like, well, I'm just dumping a bunch of sugar and, you know, right. so I was like, okay, this, these are not for me. And then, you know, there's Trader Joe's cookie butter, delicious, obviously, but didn't feel so hot after, yeah. you know, yep. five absolutely. Do not feel so hot after <laughs> that. So, hot. so anyways, and so Oatly and all these oat milks were coming on the scene and it just kind of like, connected the dots for me where I'm like, that's so interesting. Why has no one created an oat-based spread? You know, I did some Googling, nothing came up. And I was like, this is so weird. Everyone's obsessed with oats right now. Like, yeah, me, it just made sense. So started kind of experimenting in my kitchen. I remember Eric and I would go to Trader Joe's and buy their like vanilla almond granola and just like blend it up in our Vitamix. It was so trash. It was so bad. Like we would have had to pay people to eat it. Like it was not edible. But that was like the very, very beginning. And then fast forward end of um, September, Eric and I are in Paris just on vacation. And his friend from like from childhood was out there. He's a chef, was opening a restaurant out there, Ari. And, um, you know, we went out for drinks with him one night. And I remember being so nervous because I was like, you know, we were really set on this idea. And Eric and I love food, but we didn't have the culinary know-how to actually bring a product to market. And so oftentimes people will hire a food scientist or, you know, they'll bring someone in with the experience, but we didn't have any, you know, we didn't have buckets of money. And so we're like, how are we going to do this? And I was like, I should run this by Ari. Like he has worked at Michelin star restaurants. Like he's a pro, you know, but I was kind of nervous because I feel like there's this weird kind of, I don't know, people in the fine dining and like who are actually, you know, classically trained chefs kind of like poo poo the wellness industry sometimes. (laughs) They're like, oh my God, I roll gluten-free, you know, oh my God, he's going to like shit on my idea. So like, had a little liquid courage and finally worked up the confidence to talk to him about it. And I was like, what do you think about this idea? Like this could be totally crazy. And he was so on board, like so into it. He totally saw the vision and he was like, actually, this is perfect because he was a little disenchanted by the situation in Paris. And he's like, you know, I've been wanting to move back to the States anyway. So our timelines kind of aligned. Wow. 
Yeah. So it was really cool. So we brought Ari on. And at this point, you know, it's about end of, you know, 2017. And so he moves back to the States. Eric and I, from this point until we launched in March, were really, you know, just, just ideating and thinking, okay, what is granola butter? Like who is our target market? And I think that would be like my biggest, you know, tip for anyone who's thinking of launching a product is just launch before you're ready. Because we only took like three months to really do testing. Ari was doing recipe testing and everything. And, you know, and we just launched and we didn't launch with, you know, any of the, the marketing or like mission or values that we have today that really evolved. And I think like for people that are sitting on an idea and waiting until it's perfect, like it's never going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's still, our product is not perfect. Like we're always iterating. You just have to launch and like tweak and pivot based on consumer feedback. So yes, we launched in March and then on Instagram, because I had like 15 or 20,000 followers at that point. And I was like, you know, it's a nice like test market. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it was kind of cool. And then shortly after that, we got into press juicery as a topping on their freeze. And that story is actually really wild. I'll really quick, but yeah, tell I, it, I, tell it. Like, we want okay, it all. I, I feel like I'm like talking forever. No, um, so much knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had reached out to their editor because they have this online publication called the Chalkboard Magazine. And so when we launched in March, I reached out to her and I was just thinking from a PR angle of like, hey, I'll send you some jars, thinking maybe they'd write. Right an article about us and she reaches back out after we sent samples and she was like, Hey, this is super random, but our VP of R and D, um, you know, happened to be walking by my desk, tried a bite of the granola butter and is obsessed. Like, can we make an intro? We'd love to have you guys as a topping on our freeze. And I was just like, Oh my, God. Oh my gosh, because oh my I God. Mean, when you start, like when you launch a company, you're just like, I mean, it's so nerve wracking. Cause you know, it's your baby and you put all this time into it. And it was really the first person that was like interested. And so we were like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then, I mean, but another thing that's kind of interesting, which I think people wouldn't realize is food is just like, it's so slow moving. I mean, we started yeah. talking to press in March and it took, it was like growing a baby because it took nine months. And then they finally launched with us January, 2020. So wow. from, you know, that initial email to it being impressed on a freeze, it was nine months, which is wild. So wow. yeah, so that was kind of cool. And then we Eric and I decided to go full-time probably a year into it. And that was when we launched with Whole Foods. And really the reason that we hadn't gone full-time before was just, you know, financially, it's it's really scary, obviously, to oh, leave your full-time job. And of course. Um, yeah, and I'm just a very like risk-averse person. And so I think a lot of people will hear, you know, on social media and stuff, it's like kind of like the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world. It's like, you know, screw your full-time job, just do <laughs> it, like grind, hustle. And I just never resonated with that. And I just want to like share with people, like there is another way, you know, you can can be really kind of conservative about it and, um, you know, save up money while kind of working nights and weekends. And then when you feel financially a little more secure, then you can launch because I don't know, for me personally, like my creativity goes out the window when I feel like financially stressed in any way. So not saying I'm like rolling in the dough now, like definitely startup life is, <laughs> is not, you know, cushy as Instagram makes it look, but yeah. And so here we are today. We're in, um, yeah, four regions of Whole Foods. We just launched with them and then, you know, world market, Amazon, our website. So we're, you know, still growing, but it's been such a journey. And like, I've learned literally more than I ever thought possible. Oh, incredible. So many good tips, I think, for anybody really interested in creating anything. And I love what you said about that you don't need to like, you know, quit the quit the safety job right mm -hmm. away because it, it has to be what works for you. If you're going to be super stressed about money and not being able to mm -hmm. be creative, that's not good. And Or if you, you know, are not able to put enough time into your thing because you're sticking with the safety job, that's not good either. But it's totally. going to be what happens 
has to be what works for you and every creative is different. And launching a company really is a creative endeavor. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. And also it takes up a lot of like, like even for us, like we have the deepest belief in our project and, and in everything and the people we're talking to. And we hope to continue to touch more and more people. But, you know, we still have things that we feel safe with and, and aspects like that just because it makes us feel more comfortable. And I don't think that takes away from like the belief of where your project or your dream can go. Right. I think everyone's different. So I love that you said that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what what would you say is the most difficult piece about about like launching this product and really getting it off the ground. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, so many things. <laughs> I try so hard on social media to like not be like a downer, but I really just want to be real with people because I feel like it can be very, you know, you can be disillusioned when you go on Instagram and you see all these, you know, people seemingly making it overnight, right? And they have all these nice things and they're successful already. And they just launched, you know, three months ago and it's like, it's a grind and it's a hustle. And I would say the hardest thing is just that it never turns off, but that's also what I love about it. So, you know, when I was working in tech, I loved my job. And I will always say this, like my boss was amazing. My team was awesome. Um, It wasn't the situation where I was like, you know, I've heard stories where people are like, I hated my job. Like I actually really enjoyed it. And if I was still there, I would have been, you know, totally fine. But I also had this little voice inside of me that was like, you, there's more out there. Like there's more, you know, you're meant to do more than just this because, you know, I was working for someone else and I'm a really driven, hardworking person. And I felt almost like, you know, it'd be so much better to be working for myself and like seeing the fruits of my labor for how hard I was working. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And so that I think is the hardest part for me is just knowing when to turn it off and also like not being able to fully turn it off, especially with the structure that I've sort of created, you know, being a quote unquote influencer, hate that term, but you know, (laughs) um, having a following on online you know, it looks so glamorous from the outside. It's like, oh, you get free stuff. You know, that's great. Whatever. It gets old pretty quick, (laughs) to be honest with you. And like, there's always a a caveat, like you have to share about it. It's not like no strings attached. Um, But it is also very draining to share your entire life online and you can never turn off. And Mm -hmm. there's always people judging you for what you're doing or not doing. And that is really, I think the most draining. But in terms of the business, like the hardest part has just been, you know, balancing my like downtime with, with my work time. Cause I think yeah. when you're starting a company, you're not clocking in and clocking out. It's almost like you can never work hard enough. Like if you put more hours in, you know that, you know, you could be doing more, you could be doing more. And there's always that kind of little voice, which I've gotten so much better at. Thank God yes. through a lot of like therapy and just oh, with that one too. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard because like, you know, it's a Saturday and I'm like, okay, I know mentally I need to lay by the pool, unplug, you know, read a book. But then of course there's that little voice that's like, well, you know, your mm-hmm. inbox, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh. okay, so that's been really tough. But um, I would say also, you know, if you're that type of person and you have a tendency to really like run yourself into the ground, just what's been helpful for me is remembering that actually like it's a marathon, not a sprint and like really it's a long-term game. And, you know, if you want to be more productive in the long-term, like you have to take breaks, you have to, you know, fill up your own cup and self-care and really just all of those things because burnout is so real. And I think our generation, especially like, you know, we're always connected. We're always online. Um, Like I was talking to my mom about this and she was like, yeah, it's wild. You know, you guys always have to really put on a show and, and act like everything is, you know, okay, because you're always on social media where she's like, for me, I didn't have social media. So like I could really just unplug (laughs) and, and, you know, in my downtime when I wasn't with my friends. So that's been, I think the hardest thing for me, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of other things, but that's the most. (laughs) Yeah. And kind of a question 
off of that for you work with your significant other, your your business partner. So how does that kind of impact your dynamic, you know, turning off when to talk about work and stuff like that? Has that been a challenge? Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, <laughs> 100%. Um, and we're still really working on it. I would say it ebbs and flows and it's tough because we we both love what we're doing. Like we're so passionate about it. You know, like I'm just lit up right now telling you about what we're doing. And like, I love love what we're doing and I I believe in it. And so it is hard. It's not like, you know, because when we get home, we both want to talk about it. And we're in a really exciting stage of our company where we're raising our first round of funding and we're expanding and growing and all these things. And so we want to talk about it all the time. But then we have realized, I mean, we've been together for seven years and like, you know, when you're with someone that long, it, it is hard. You have to kind of, you know, find ways to inject, you know, some spiciness and like keep it fresh. And I feel like it's easy to become roommates. And so it's, yeah, almost balancing that, you know, sexual, like romantic relationship with like a business is so hard because as a female, you know, as a woman, you're in your balancing your feminine and masculine energies. Right. And like, I, you know, not to get too woo woo, but like, no, I operate. (laughs) Yeah. I I, like operate most of my day in my masculine, you know, especially today. It's like, I've been talking to investors all day and like numbers, blah, blah, blah. And like, as a woman in business, I feel like you almost have to put out more of that masculine energy to prove yourself. Mm. And so when I get home, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, if we continue to talk about business, then I'm just in my masculine all day. And like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You have to just find that balance. And so doing things that really, you know, balance that out for me, it's like taking a slow beach walk or, you know, even just doing like a face mask or, you know, sauna, like sitting in the sauna, like things that are kind of gentle and feminine. Um, Yeah. So that's like a big thing, but yeah, for us personally, I mean, I wouldn't say we're perfect. Like we're still working on it for sure. And it's, I think you have to, if you're thinking of working with your significant other, like find someone who really objectively balances you out from a business standpoint, like not just because you're dating them and you like them and you think they're cute. Like that's all going to fade a couple, (laughs) a couple years in, like I promise you. And so it's really just objectively like, and this is like so unsexy, but looking on paper and being like, okay, where do we balance each other out business-wise? Like Eric is totally the numbers guy. He does all of our finances behind the scenes. He doesn't like being in the limelight. And I'm like creative and kind of the ideator and visionary and like balance. So we balance each other out in that way. But um, yeah, it's not for everyone for sure. No, yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously very difficult. And But those were some really great tips. I think that's going to help a lot of people who, who, I, I feel like I see more and more a lot of couples kind of going into work together Mm -hmm. it's kind of like this new thing yeah so it's interesting it's not all bad yeah it's not all I mean like I'm just painting like the downside no not at all yeah like it's super cool I think the the awesome part too is like it feels like our baby and it's like you know because before we were both working in tech and yeah we both had cool jobs but we would get home and it was like how was your day? Good. How's your day? Good. Like right. I didn't connect with him because yeah. uh, I had no idea what he was doing all day, you know? <laughs> and it's so it's like other level of connection too. Totally. It's like our child. Yeah, for I sure. I love that. That's so I beautiful. love that. It is. It's beautiful. <laughs> Look at it that way, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> what advice do you have for a young woman preparing to launch her first product? Maybe like a first, a first step or like the biggest piece that you would say at the beginning? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I would say COVID actually is, I think, an 
awesome time. Like this is kind of a unpopular opinion, I guess, but I would say it's an awesome time to launch a product. Um, especially if you're going to launch e-com. So, you know, an online like D to C product, um, you know, we've seen our online sales like triple during Mm -hmm. this time, depending on obviously what you're planning on launching, but people like never before have you had just a captive audience of people who are, you know, mostly at home on social media more than ever. Of course you have the aspect of, you know, the economy is probably going to (laughs) tank, but, but that aside, I think, you know, there's so many incredible brands built out of recessions. And so I would say just in terms of kind of like, you know, zooming out though, if you're thinking of launching something, Mm -hmm. you know, really get clear on your why, because it's not this glamorous thing. As I mentioned before, like if you're doing it just because you want to put entrepreneur in your Instagram bio, not the right reason. You know? um, I think it's really has to come down to your why. And that's different for everyone. For me, I really wanted to make a tangible impact in the world, like a lasting legacy that could just, you know, emanate bigger than myself. And so it, I felt like I couldn't make that impact at a bigger, you know, larger organization. So that's my why, you know, helping people feel less alone when it comes to food and their bodies. That's my why, like getting back to that and even writing it out. Like, you know, I spent a lot of time journaling and all that because you're going to have so many hard moments where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Like this is yep, yep. like, it's why, you know, I, like I have so many stories where I was up to like, you know, 3am, 4am, like working. And I'm like, I did not go to four years of college for this. You know, it's like, just like, what am I doing? And so that's when you really like have to tap back into your why. And, you know, of course there's so many wins too, where you're like, oh my gosh, it's just such a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I think would be my biggest thing. And then secondly, I would say really find a support network and that doesn't have to even mean your business, like your team, right? That you're working with. It's like find a network of friends and family and loved ones that will really um, be there for you. And they won't, you know, they won't judge you for, you know, going MIA for a little bit because I have girlfriends who are so awesome. And like, they just know I'm doing my thing and they support me from a distance, but like, I can't make it to wine night every time. And they get that. And it's not like, there's no guilt tripping. There's none of that. I've like cut out those toxic relationships for my life because you want people in your life that support you. They're not jealous of you. Like, even if you have totally different life paths, like I don't have any other, you know, girlfriends that are really doing their own thing with business. Like they're all working kind of nine to five jobs, which is awesome. But they're like, we don't get it, but like, we love you and we'll support you however we can. That's it. That's it. That's right. I think that that's like the big, that's so important. Me too. That's people that are willing to listen, even if they don't like fully get it. Right. I think is the most powerful piece for sure. And you've given us like so many already tangible tips in terms of business. And I feel like our generation is definitely an entrepreneur, like go, go, go type of generation. So I think people are going to really appreciate both the tough things and also the really beautiful things about that. Yeah. But we kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about your history with orthorexia and all, you know, eating disorder related things. Can you tell us a little bit more about what orthorexia is and how it showed up in your life? I feel like it's one that's not talked about as often. Yeah, no, for sure. It's so important, especially now. I think people are, you know, becoming more and more aware of what they're putting in their bodies. And, you know, I think the wellness industry is so awesome. It's done so many cool things, but with anything, you can take it to the extreme like I did. I actually, yeah, I mean, my journey with food went back, as I mentioned 
very early on, but really the obsession with eating like clean and, you know, the orthorexia side of things. So for anyone who doesn't know, orthorexia is just an obsession with eating clean or pure or, you know, just healthy foods. And it looks different for everyone, but um, yeah, it's just a lot of like food rules about, you know, cutting out food groups and, you know, certain types of foods or, you know, gluten or whatever it is. So for me, it actually started, I remember I was on a cruise with my family and it was freshman year of high school. And I remember my mom had like, because of the type of cruise that she bought, there was like a free nutrition thing that was like seminar that was thrown in or whatever. On a cruise? It was so, it was literally so (laughs) random. Yeah. And my, I mean, as I mentioned, my parents were like, eat to live, you know, like she didn't care, but she was like, kind of like, Oh, okay. I guess we should go. Cause it's free. Right. And first red flag, it was put on by the trainer at the gym on the cruise. So like no nutrition certifications. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of this online where it's like, you know, trainers and fitness professionals giving nutrition advice, even doctors. I don't know. It's kind of like doctors receive little to no, like almost no nutrition training. So it's like, leave it to the RDs, but I digress. <laughs> so this guy starts telling us about the zone diet. And I don't know if you guys remember the zone diet. It was like this oh, no. kind of like, I don't know. It was like a South Beach sort of diet. Oh, and I remember yeah. like he starts talking about, you know, you have to count your almonds. Like you can only have seven almonds a day. And I was a freshman in high school and I was just like, what the hell? Like oh, my yeah. almonds. <laughs> yeah, almonds. I'm like, almonds are fucking delicious. And it was just the first time that it shifted my whole mindset around mm-hmm. like people actually portion, like the portion control. That was just never even a thought in my mind. And we left and my mom, it, like I want to be clear, my mom wasn't like, let's go to this thing to learn how to lose weight. It was very no, much no. like, yeah. So we left and my mom's like, let's go get pina coladas. Like she was like, that that was a waste of time. <laughs> right. And, but uh, me being just a freshman in high school, very impressionable, kind of perfectionistic. I was like, I guess this is what people do to like be thin. And like, I just mm-hmm. took it to the extremes. I remember getting home from this cruise and probably the rest of the time on the cruise, like just thinking about this, getting home. I couldn't even drive. So I asked my parents, like, can you drive me to Barnes and Noble? And I just bought up all of these nutrition books. And so I started learning about raw veganism, veganism, you know, gluten-free, all these things. And I just dove right in and my parents were like, that's kind of weird. But also like, you know, most kids won't even eat a vegetable. So they were like, cool, you know, this is interesting, a little weird, but interesting. And that was, I think, really the turning point where, you know, I started to become obsessed with the types of foods I was eating. Mm -hmm. So there was like, I went through phases in high school where, yeah, I was like vegan, raw vegan. And it was just kind of, it was all a little like me finding my way with food. I would say it really turned, um, you know, for the negative when I got to college. And so, you know, freshman year of college, I was a nutrition major at Berkeley. And like, you know, the first project they wanted us to do was like a dietary recall, which is like normal for a nutrition student, but just me having my sort of like disordered um, mindset was Mm -hmm. terrible because basically I wrote down everything that I ate and then, you know, the TA like analyzes it and it's just like, it's kind of a weird vibe, you know, Mm -hmm. for someone who has like disordered patterns. So that was really when I became aware of calories. So up until then it was like just the types of food I was eating. And then it was, you know, more like the amount of food I was eating. And with that combo, I think I really kind of spiraled down, but it is tough. I would say like in our sort of wellnessy like bubble it's hard to do to discern whether someone is, you know, struggling with orthorexia or whether they're just a healthy eater. And I think yes. only you, if you're listening, like only you can really, you know, determine that. Because for me, I was in denial a lot of the time and none of my friends knew because I was the nutrition major, like I was the healthy one. And, you know, I was actually at like a higher weight than I am today because I was, you know, restricting, but also binge eating, mm-hmm. which we also can get into. And so no one knew because I wasn't this like frail, you know, yeah, anorexic right. looking like stereotypical 
eating disorder patient. So it's tough. I think like if you, you'll probably know, like if you're listening to this and you're like, I do think about food, you know, some of the warning signs would be like, you're thinking about your next meal as you're eating your current meal or, you know, a lot of like excessive planning, mm-hmm. um, just thinking about food all the time, like taking up so much headspace, yeah. um, feeling like you can't attend social events because you're not, you know, sure what kind of food they're going to have there. That was the big one for me. Yeah. Missing out on events and just like hanging out with friends, just, yeah, all of those things. Definitely. That's super helpful. I think the difficult piece is like you were saying to know when, if someone's struggling or yourself, if you're struggling is that's something that feels like it can be easy for people to think like, oh, she's just really disciplined. Like, oh, she's just really, that's her passion, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And I think that's a really difficult thing that sometimes we can even convince ourselves of. Like, say, oh, no, I'm just disciplined. Oh, this really matters to me. And I think you actually have said this before in maybe Instagram or a podcast episode about really asking yourself, is this adding value to my life or is it taking away from my life? And I think that's a really important question for people to ask themselves or to even ask people that they confide in is like, you know, how how do you see me in this sense? Or asking yourself, like, how do I, how does this really make me feel? Absolutely. I don't think we do that often enough and really thinking about how much of my headspace does this really take up, you know? Yeah. And I would encourage people to, you know, to try not to comment on other people's bodies, whether it's, you know, positively or negatively. I mean, obviously not negatively, but even positively because, (laughs) you know, for me, I remember going home that Thanksgiving break of my freshman year being the thinnest I've ever been, but I was the most depressed, the most anxious. Like I was, I remember falling asleep at night and I like couldn't even sleep because my stomach was growling so loud. It was keeping me awake. Like tonight, like so unhealthy. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I get home and I'm showered with compliments. You know, I was, I was super nerdy in high school. I was not popular. And all these cool girls from high school are are DMing me or like messaging me on Facebook because like Facebook was cool (laughs) back then. And they were like, what's your secret? Like, what have you been doing? You look amazing. And so it's like, we still have that in our society, right? Where people lose weight and they're showered with compliments and you don't know what they're going through. They could be, could have like, they could be going through chemotherapy. Like you'd have no idea. I've heard so many stories. Like weight loss can happen for so many negative reasons too. So I think if we can, as a society, just be more conscious around that and like there's so many compliments you can choose for people that aren't related to how their appearance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially when it comes to things like orthorexia and things that aren't as visible or as easily noticeable as let's say anorexia or bulimia, which like are the only ones we kind of learn about in like health class in high school. You know, it's a very Mm -hmm. small scope of what, at least in my experience, of what we were taught about Mm -hmm. when it comes to eating disorder. So it's been, I think it's amazing that people are like you, Allie, are really talking about it and breaking down like what it has been for you and your experience because a lot of people I think don't even know that 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 exists and how our comments or how we act around those people can be so impactful either in a negative way or a positive way. Yeah. I think it's a spectrum. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I was the same way. I was raised to really, yeah, learned about in health class. It was like, you you know, anorexia is like, you know, the super frail skeletal woman. So extreme. Mm -hmm. So extreme. And then believe me, I'm like, well, I'm not throwing up my food. You know, I definitely tried when I was like in my disorder, but I was like, this is not for me. I hate throwing up. I was like, no, I did a lot of like exercise bulimia, which is basically purging through over exercise, which we can also talk about. Yeah. And so I just, it was two boxes and I was like, I don't fit into either of these. So what's going on? And so I just want to share with people, like it's such a spectrum and also just the severity can be, can vary. Like, you know, mine was obviously not severe enough that I was malnourished or underweight, but it was enough to really affect just my mental health. And it took up a lot of headspace. 
Yeah, and I think you bring up such a good point with, like, there is no set look for these things. Like, I think about it now, and I'm like, when I was most restricting in my life, I wasn't my smallest, but I was also binge eating. And, like, it's like, there's no, like, we almost associate binge eating with, oh, you must be in a larger body, so that's what you're struggling with. And, oh, you know, with anorexia or anything like that, you must be in a smaller body. But, like you're saying, it's a lot of it has to do with the thoughts that go through your head, how much headspace goes, you know, you attribute to that, how much time you spend with over-exercising, And if you don't mind you, I think it'd be kind of cool to hear about the, well, not cool, but it would be informative to hear about the exercise, over-exercising. Yeah. Because I don't think that's something that's talked about either. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, it started from a very, um, I would say, mentally healthy place. You know, I grew up, obviously, both my parents were athletes. My dad did, like, Ironman triathlons when I was growing up. Like, very, (laughs) you know, they were triathletes, like, very healthy people. And so I, you know, was exposed to that. I remember Saturday morning, like it was never, we were never just like laying around watching TV. It was like, all right, we're going to go for a family bike ride. We're going to go for a family run, you know? And I loved that. Like I loved being outside. I loved moving my body. And then, you know, that went into volleyball. I played volleyball competitively growing up and was always just, I was always working out. I was always active. So then, you know, I started equating being active to like earning my food. And I think that's a whole like mindset where it's like, well, I didn't work out today, so I can't eat X, Y, Z. And that whole kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, rabbit hole. And that's when I started basically felt like I had to work out every single day if I wanted to eat certain things. And then from there, it really went to just over-exercising. If I ate something, you know, when I was in college, I remember I would go out drinking, obviously everyone like, or a lot of people, I don't want to stereotype, but college (laughs) was like the party years for most people. Um, It definitely was for me. And so, you know, freshman year, I was obviously restricting my food a lot. And so when I would go out drinking with my friends, your inhibitions are lowered. Mm -hmm. So I remember coming home from drinking and just like eating everything in my cabinets. And then the next day just being like number one hungover so I felt like shit and I was depressed but then I was also like oh my gosh like all everything that I ate last night right so I would just work out for like hours the next day like I remember running and being so lightheaded I felt like I was gonna pass out and I was like I have to keep going like just terrible things that I did to my body mm-hmm. um and another thing too which I think people don't talk about whole nother topic but abusing Adderall to suppress my appetite and you know cocaine and drugs in college and so it's like the extremes and diet pills so like the extremes that will go to just suppress our appetite and just like try and control our bodies is wild. And so I think people don't really think about the exercise bulimia as too much of an issue too, because again, it's like, wow, you know, all my friends were like, oh my God, you know, you're such a, you're a runner or like you have so much willpower, like you're going to the gym all the time. So then it was like this mind fuck because on one hand, I'm like, I have to do this. It was this anxiety. If I didn't work out, I, I literally felt anxious if I didn't go to the gym. Yeah, yeah. I took one rest day, which is funny because now I'm like, just so intuitive with my movement like I I honestly just walk most days like and it just feels so good to me like love a walk yeah I just love a walk and then when I do do something more intense like it feels good because I've been kind of craving that so I don't know I think it's that's kind of a tough thing too I mean really as a friend like there it's hard to see the warning signs obviously if your friend's exercising multiple hours a day there might be something wrong but really again you have to know from within if it's something that is not serving you yeah, I think that that's a really important piece of it. it's like how much is it inhibiting yeah. your your emotional well-being, your social well-being, and mm-hmm. your mental well-being, all of that. It's so important. Allie, if you wouldn't mind, I really actually want to talk about something you just said about how the alcohol and the Adderall and the cocaine and whatever, you know, the things that we do recreationally, I'm doing air quotes, recreationally in college that a lot of people do, but there are a lot of, you know, some people do it for fun and some people do do it for reasons beyond fun. I know a lot of women our age do use Adderall for 
losing weight, I feel like it's something we don't really talk about and it's really, it could be very detrimental to people's health. So I would love if you could touch on your experience with that, Ali, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, as I mentioned in, you know, high school, I was super nerdy, obviously, (laughs) you know, was such a bookworm to get into Berkeley, but really didn't drink. My dad was a teacher and a lot of people knew him in our community and he was kind of like, you know, just, I don't know, not like type A. He was pretty type A. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, kind of like, I was a little bit, you know, didn't want to upset him or whatever. So high school, I was like very goody two shoes and then went away to college and just like went wild. Like, (laughs) and it was also- As the goody two shoes do. Do, always. Um, Yeah. If you're a parent, you know, I would say give your kids some leeway because otherwise they're going to go crazy. (laughs) But yeah. And so I got to college and every, it was just, I mean, Berkeley, like obviously a very good- you know, academic school, but huge party school underground that people don't realize and was just kind of thrown into this lifestyle that I had never experienced. I didn't know how to navigate. And, you know, you're a freshman in college. You're like, I want to make friends. I want to be cool. Like I want to fit in. So I found myself, yeah, just, you know, surrounded and of course joined a sorority. So, you know, found myself surrounded by other girls that really were just partying really hard. And it was tough because, you know, when you're struggling with food, a lot of times, even Yeah. I mean, even I think it's kind of ingrained and baked into like the college culture where, you know, you'll get drunk faster if you don't eat. Right. So a lot of times I would like save up my calories during the day, wouldn't eat a lot. And then it was like, I would black out, you know, after like two shots or something just because I hadn't been eating. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's really dangerous and it's so bad for you. I mean, like a blackout is literally your body, you know, shuts off the, the part of your brain that, you know, creates memories because it's focused on keeping you alive. Like it's not a, and it's so casual, right? I remember in college, blacked out last night and it's like, that's really not okay. Um, and I mean, just the, yeah. And just surrounded by all of that. And also, you know, um, all of the drugs and the Adderall, you know, which people use obviously to study and, you know, to focus and all of that. But I think there's a time and a place, like obviously if you have a prescription and it's necessary you know, that's one thing, but there's just so many people that use it that don't need it and abuse it and, um, you know, use it in other ways, snorting it and stuff like that. And I definitely was one of those people and just the long-term effects, um, people don't think about, I think, you know, I definitely didn't, I was very much like, okay, I just want to lose five pounds for winter formal. Like I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, now I'm struggling with so many health issues. Like I have an autoimmune condition. I mean, who knows if it's related. I personally think it is like, I just don't, you know, I don't have any of this running in my family. Um, and it just feels like I did such terrible things. My body, it makes sense, Mm -hmm. but like an autoimmune condition, I haven't gotten my period in years and like still I'm like actively working on it with my doctor, but yeah, I haven't gotten my period back. Like so many things, you know, gut issues, just long lasting. And so I just want to caution people like just because something is, you know, cool or all your friends are doing it, like doesn't mean that it's normal or okay. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my experience. And I think the alcohol piece is really interesting for a lot of reasons, but you know, it's so individual to people. And I think there is this really cool sort of trend happening where people are getting sober curious and, you know, they're kind of dabbling with this idea of, you know, maybe I don't have to drink as much. And I I definitely see that with like Gen Z and, you know, my brother's age and stuff like that. But for me, I just really choose not to drink anymore. Like I'll have a glass of wine once in a while. I would say Mm -hmm. honestly, like a couple times a year, super rarely. And just because, you know, it just doesn't serve me. And like, I'm so much more confident in myself and who I am without alcohol. I felt like I used it as a crutch for so long just to like be social or be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Um, and like, I know that I'm fun without it. And I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So yeah, that's kind of my journey, but everyone's so different. And you know, Mm -hmm. some people are totally fine with drinking and all that stuff. So yeah. yeah. I think that's super interesting because I, especially in your 20s, I think it, it feels very pressuring like to to not drink. And if you don't, it kind of feels like people are paying attention or asking you why you're not or encourage you to, encouraging you to drink more. So I think it's really cool that you said that because I, I think it's a big part of the social scene and kind of a crutch that a lot of people use. So remembering, like you just said, that, that it's not something you really need to be fun. And it's really a choice. It depends on how you feel. For some people they love it. And for some people they don't, and that's okay. Totally. And remembering too, that when people ask you like, come on, like take a shot with me, you know, trying to peer pressure you, why aren't you drinking? You're no fun. Like all this stuff. I've heard it all. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Especially it's tough when your friends, you know, you used to like, I used to be the party girl with my friends and now those same friends are seeing me not drinking and they're like, wait, what? Like it's hard to kind of, yeah. And just remember that like, the reason people want you to drink with them is because it's out of their own, their own insecurity. So they feel uncomfortable that they're the only ones drinking, you know, they just want you to be having fun with them. And it's not about you. Like, it's not like they think you're, you know, a lame, like a boring person. It's really from them. And that was really helpful for me because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I want them to like me, but if they're your true friends, like they will, they'll like you for you, not like the, you know, drunk version of you. <laughs> yeah, That's it's so true. true. It's really good point. So relevant, right? Yeah. yeah. So Ali, uh, I mean, I'm sure that your healing journey was probably a long and in-depth one, but what were some of the most transformative experiences for you in your healing journey? And tell us a little bit about where you are today with all of that. Yeah, I love that question. Um, yeah, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the, the journey is like very it's not linear. It's very up and down. I would say the downs honestly actually are the best learning lesson truly. And even if it doesn't feel that way in the moment, um, they definitely are in hindsight. And, you know, it took me a good, so I really embarked on, like I chose recovery intentionally. I mean, three, maybe four years ago. So it hasn't been that long. Like it's still very recent to me and it's still navigating. Yeah. After, you know, years of struggling. So I wouldn't say I'm perfect. Like I definitely, you know, when COVID hit, it was like, oh my gosh, so many things in my life felt out of control. And I immediately noticed myself like going to food, right. And like eating for comfort and then sort of like having some weird restrictive behaviors. And so it's like those patterns and behaviors and thoughts are still there. It's just now I have the tools to be able to manage them and and handle them and not really like spiral downward, I would Mm -hmm. say. But the biggest thing that I do tell people who are looking to heal their relationship with food, number one is talk to someone. Like it doesn't even have to be a professional. Obviously that is like my highest recommendation. I think working with a professional is so helpful, but talking to anyone, I think, you know, when you struggle with food in your body, it's so isolating and it's so, you just feel very lonely and you feel like you're the only one going through it. And so when you, you know, are able to share with a friend or your significant other or a parent, it just takes that burden off of you. And it also holds you accountable because when I didn't tell anyone, I was like, well, if I slip back into, you know, old patterns, no one will know. And so it's like really great to have that support person to be like, to kind of hold you accountable be like, Hey, you know, I see you're struggling again, blah, blah, blah. So that's number one. I obviously recommend a therapist or, you know, a professional, because if you can afford it, it was incredible. Um, and there's some sliding scale therapists out there. Mm -hmm. If you Google that, that are like a cheaper option. Second thing I would say is you have to stop restricting. I, for the longest time, you know, wanted to stop binging, but I was like, okay with still restricting, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, cause I was still in this like disordered place of like, Oh, I hate myself after I overeat or after I binge, but like the restricting isn't so bad. And 
you just, the reason you're binging is because you're restricting. I hate to break it to you. So, you know, once you really allow all foods, like truly food freedom, you know, obviously food allergies aside, but allowing yourself to eat all the things, like you'll be shocked with how chill around food you feel. Like I remember ice cream was like my biggest trigger. I could never have a pint of ice cream in the fridge Mm. or in the freezer. It would like be gone. You know, if I had one bite, I had to finish the whole pint. Mm And it's just wild. Like I have, I'm thinking right now I have three pints of ice cream in my freezer that I haven't touched in like probably three weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like good. They're haagen Like they're good ice cream, oh, you know? Yeah. They're it's not some crap ice cream. Yeah. Like none of that shit. So it's just, I mean, the mo- like it, t- it takes time. It's not like overnight, you know, there was moments where I remember eating ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because I was like, I need to get okay with eating this mm. any time of day. Like it's not just dessert thing. Like I need to be okay with ice cream. And then I was like, Oh my God, I'm so like, I was like, like anytime someone talked about ice cream, I was like, I can't. So, (laughs) you know, you're going to overdo it. I'm sure you're going to have moments where you're like, I'm doing this wrong. Like it's going to be messy, but you're going to get to this point where food just feels like food. It's like what you need to survive. You know, you can still enjoy it, be a foodie for sure, but it's not going to be this like main player in your life. It's going to be a supporting role and you're not going to be thinking about it 24 seven. Um, last thing is really just, you have to want recovery more than you want to be skinny. And I say that because there was so many points in my recovery where I was like kind of faking it to myself. And I was like, yes, I want to recover. I want to like get over this thing. But then I was also like trying to lose the last five pounds at the same time. And just like, you can't do you can't yeah. do both. Yeah. And I think just realizing that your weight like does not dictate how happy you are ever. Like I, when I've been at my thinnest, I've always been the most unhappy. I've always been the most critical of my body. And it just, it's not a correlation. And so thinking that when you get to this dream weight, like your life is going to magically get better is just not the case. And so, yeah, you just really have to, to want it. And like the last thing I'll say is just recovery is so worth it. Like in every sense of the word, just the headspace that is, that is there. I mean, like I couldn't have started my business if I was still thinking about food as much as I was. I mean, I never understood those people that, you know, forgot to eat. And like, now I'm almost that person where I'm like, Oh my God, like it's lunchtime. Like it's just Mm -hmm. wild. And when you shift your priorities and you really start to fulfill your life in other ways, then it just opens up and it creates this like beautiful, abundant sort of life focused mindset. Yeah. Our lives can be so much more deep and fulfilled and beautiful when we when we take the time to put in the work into ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's it's so powerful that you said, I think we're taught to believe that like avoiding things that you like to an extent is like safer because then you won't eat the ice cream and you won't do these things. And it's so interesting that like actually giving yourself that freedom lessens the temptation to want to do that. Like Julia's observed this whole time for me and I used to absolutely finish all the ice cream when we went out or watch my friends eat and not eat at all. And now I'm like, okay, like sometimes I'll choose to get the, the ice cream with them and sometimes I won't and I won't finish it. And it's just, it's so cool because I think when you're on the opposite side of it, you're like, oh, I would never be there. And then to be here is like, it's so possible. And I feel like that's a big piece of why people choose to share because you want to inspire that person that doesn't believe it's possible. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I'm so proud of you because that's a huge thing. I mean, I think I resonate with that so much, like being the one that never ordered, like never ate unhealthy in front of my friends and then going home and like eating all the things or going home and like 
binging on set. Like I was a big like nighttime eater or like I would eat in private a lot. Um, and like, I mean, there's a whole <laughs> another thing we could talk about there. It's like, you know, I was just obsessed with like what people thought of me yeah. and that people pleaser mentality. And it's like, Oh my God, what are they going to think of me? If I'm like, they're going to think I'm a pig. They're going to think I'm fat. If I'm eating all this shit. And it's like, Whoa, like there was, so therapy helped a lot with that. So sometimes healing too with food is like totally, it doesn't even involve food, right? Like it's all never right. about the food. Um, and so now it's like stepping into my power, you know, not being this people pleaser mm-hmm. um, and really just owning myself and owning my choices and like not giving a fuck what other people think. Like as oh, I know that's not like cliche at, at this no, point. No, like, no. It's true. It's true. I think it's women, yeah, especially as women, we're like, you know, just we always care like what we think and what we do. But, you know, it's just like, you know, your, your intuition is so strong and like just following that. Yeah. And something that I really love that I love about you is that you don't and a lot of people too, I think it's a big thing that's misconstrued in this space is that like food freedom doesn't equal not giving a shit about yourself. Like, you know, and I think that that's a a thing that's sometimes misconstrued is like you can simultaneously have food freedom and still care about what you're having because it it has to do with how it's satisfying you emotionally, mentally, physically, like every all different things. So I think that's something that I really appreciate about you is that you show that side of it too. Oh, totally. Oh my gosh. I know. I could go on forever. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, maybe we'll have to do a part two. We're going like, to have to do part two, guys. Do. We'll, we'll have to. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll keep it really succinct, but essentially, yes. Like, I went through so many phases of my recovery where I was like in this point where I was eating all the things and I felt like shit, right? Like I was eating ice cream, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think that's what people think food freedom is. It's like having, like choosing the donuts every time. But I love what you said about like, sometimes I get the ice cream, sometimes I don't. Like that's so beautiful because it really is tapping in. And like for me, eating a lot of vegetables, eating, you know, lots of high quality proteins, avocado, like that makes me feel so good and focused and I'm not foggy. And so like that to me is self-love and body love, but it doesn't mean that I never eat unhealthy. Like I do, like I, I also, I have dessert pretty much every night, but like I'm not eating a whole bucket of, or a whole pack of cookies, right? It's like I'm eating one because I feel good or I'm eating however many because I feel good in that. So yeah, I, I could go on forever about yes, that. Yes, we but. could go on forever. <laughs> Guys, we'll have her back for part two. We're going to have to. She's so great. Allie, we just have a t- couple questions for you before we let you go. We want to know about Queencast. Tell us about the podcast. Oh, yes. oh my gosh. So yeah, I started Queencast. It was like just, I had been wanting to start a podcast for so long. Um, and then, you know, we were all in quarantine and I was like, perfect. Like perfect timing. Time. Everyone's home. I had, yeah, I had nothing else to do. Just kidding. I had a lot of things to do, but, <laughs> um, all the Amazon microphones were sold out. I like, cause everyone, I know everybody was buying equipment. Yes. It was so wild. So I found this guy on Craigslist and like got this really awesome mic, which I'm using right now. It's like Beautiful. a Yeti or a blue Yeti or something. Yeah, we have. Um, yeah. And anyways, and I just did it. And I was like, you know, there was all these thoughts and kind of noise in my head about like, it's too late to start a podcast. You know, it's too crowded, whatever. The space is so saturated. And I was like, no, this makes me so happy. I just, Hi. I felt like I had so much to say mm-hmm. about this topic that, you know, an Instagram caption was like really limiting me on. Um, cause you guys know it's so nuanced and you know, sometimes it's, I struggle with writing my captions on Instagram because you know, I just someone, don't write anything. I'm like, just come listen to me talk. I can't write I it down. Just come listen. I know. And that's smart because like people always will, you know, DM me and be like, 
like they take it the wrong way or whatever, yeah. you know, I'm it's triggered. really hard to write it's so a hard paragraph about all you want to say. Yeah. This medium is so much better. Exactly. So I've been loving it. I just also like have so many people in my life that have incredible stories and I just wanted to give them a platform to share that and yeah, and just like inspire people who are listening. So it's been super fun. Love it. Yes. Everyone go listen. So amazing. I love it. And you have such a loyal like listenership. Like I'm like, oh my gosh, they love it. <laughs> I love her. I listen all the time. But yeah. Amazing. Aww. Allie, has there been any resource in your life thus far? It could be a book, a podcast, a person that has helped guide you through your 20s? Ooh, yes. Um, I mean, just on the topic, I think this would be perfect sort of with our whole conversation yeah. around disordered eating and healing. If you're struggling with binge eating, Brain Over Binge mm-hmm. was incredible for me. Yeah. That's a podcast. Oh, it- and a book actually um, I haven't read the book but I just listened to the podcast episodes like multiple times per episode especially when I was really struggling and it just puts you know without like revealing their whatever their whole you know philosophy but it really just puts everything into a very sort of like logical factual basis and I think when you're struggling with food everything can feel so emotional Mm -hmm. and so it really was helpful for me to kind of just strip away the emotion and the drama and just scientifically be like you know it's a brain based like this is why you're binging like it's literally just pathways in your brain and just rewiring those and kind of creating new habits so I would highly recommend that I'm trying to think something outside of food I would say I'm actually currently reading Radical Acceptance yeah by Tara Brock, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And she's like, you know, a Buddhist, like she's been practicing Buddhism for years. Oh, right um, <laughs> so incredible. She's like very, I'm trying to get more into like the spiritual world. Cause I have like, I feel like this is the next phase of my journey. Cause I was you always just very- saw a spiritual healer this weekend. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. Oh, so cool. We'll tell so you about cool. that. We'll tell you later. So cool. Okay. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was always like, I wasn't anti. I was just like, oh, it's not for me. You know, I don't know. I wasn't very like woo woo. And um, I've been loving it. It started with, you know, my girlfriend does tarot, tarot cards. And like she was, she did my tarot reading. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just had so many epiphanies and it was wild. So, um, so radical acceptance is just very, oh, just so much good her. guidance and wisdom. Yeah. It was awesome. That's amazing. awesome. Oh, Allie, you have been so incredible. incredible. Our last question is simple. Where can people find you? Whether it's granola butter or Instagram, website, anything Pimp like that. Out. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, so people can find me on Instagram at avoqueen. So it's A-V-O-K-W-E-E-N. And then our brand is just queen. Um, same spelling, K-W-E-E-N. And then our website is queen.co. Amazing. Awesome. Ellie, thank we you had so, so much. much. I feel so like fun. we're friends now. <laughs> Brenda thinks we're best friends with everybody that we no, I haven't said that to anyone. <laughs> no, I do feel that way too. <laughs> Ellie, we loved having you. Oh. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys are so sweet. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Of course. Of course. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring 20s Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring 20s Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.